Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. You're listening to Deconstructive Criticism. My name is Aaron Flam, and today I will talk to a professor of sociology at Stockholm University who has studied, among other things, gender scientists. And no, I did not say gender. Charlotte Stern has instead studied gender scientists, like any good sociologist would when encountering a new and exciting tribe of people. We're going to talk about and around two of her many studies. The first is about social scientists' political views and how and if it affects their research and society as a result. And the second is a study of whether gender sociology has insulated itself and become blinkered. Hopefully I will also find out what the words insulated and blinkered mean. And so will you if you listen closely. The social media storm is still raging just beyond our screens. Sweden is still Yves Klein Blue on Google Trends. We are at 100, and as I'm writing this, the closest competitor is the Netherlands with a measly 36 points. Get a life, Dutch. Most people now just say that they hope it leads to something good in the end. Hope, as I'm sure you've heard, is the last thing to abandon man. If I was a nihilist, I'd scoff and say that then they have nothing left, but since I'm not a nihilist, I believe that hope has a value. I believe that it has a negative value, but a value nonetheless. Hope is evil. For me, hope is referral of responsibility for your situation to another person or entity, the strong leader, God, the state, or my psychoanalyst. In the original story of Pandora, you know her as the girl with the box full of evils? They actually managed to close the box in time to trap at least one last remaining evil. And according to the story, that evil was hope. To the Greeks, that was the only evil not let out into the world, but something we carry inside us. So when people tell me that they hope it leads to something good in the end, I see it for what it is, something that rendered them incapable to deal with the situation. By clinging to hope, they are actually worsening the situation. 
But we will leave that for now and focus on the ideology that lies behind a lot of what we're seeing expressions of right now. Regardless of what you think of it personally and regardless where it all leads eventually, gender studies, or as it is called in Sweden, being the mothership of this particularly virulent strain of socialism, gender science is state religion. If you're an English speaker, I have recorded episodes previously about this, in English, among others, uh, with Harald Eja, a comedian, sociologist and TV journalist who has made a TV series called Hjernevask, or Brainwashed, about gender science in Norway. Since he produced that show, funding for a Nordic corporation on gender policy was closed down. Unfortunately, it just receded back to where the cancer came from, Sweden. It now resides at Gothenburg University, where it costs us a fortune and produces evil, sexist policies. I have also interviewed Christina Hoff-Summers, Cassie Jay, and Jan McVarish on this subject, and links to the AI episode as well as the others will be found in the description below this episode on Patreon. And a link to the Patreon will be in the description below whatever platform you're listening on. We call it the Secretariat for Gender Research. They have now been tasked with gender mainstreaming. And it is that process, gender mainstreaming, that is now threatening academic freedom at all Swedish universities. In reality, this process has been going on for a long time, and the only reason it's become a debate here now is that finally someone protested. Erik Ringmar, a senior lecturer at Lund University, refused to include Judith Butler in the syllabus for his course simply because it had nothing to do with the subject he was teaching, specifically reactions to modernity at the turn of the last century, which, as I'm sure you understand, is a bit before Judith Butler. But as part of the gender mainstreaming process, all course reading lists must now have at least 40% female authors, which is a fine goal, but impossible in some subjects. Oppressive patriarchy's fault or not, the literature just isn't there. Ironically, when Judith Butler was asked about it, she also thought it sounded like a shit move. Ivar Arpi, a Swedish journalist whom I've had on the show before, albeit in Swedish, wrote about it and about the gender mainstreaming process threatening academic freedom here. He also made an English version of it that was published on Kilet that you can read if you want to. And as all the other links, even the ones in Swedish, it can be found in the description below the episode on Patreon. And he has also been interviewed about this by Jordan Peterson. That can be watched on YouTube. Eva wrote that gender science behaves like an almighty church, forcing people to preach their ideology and calling critics right-wing, misogynist, or if worse comes to worse, men. Instead of answering Eva Arpi's claims, the Secretariat for Gender Research responded with an article in Dagens Nyheter, the other of Sweden's biggest dailies, calling anyone who criticizes gender science alt-right, misogynist, and white sexist men. They didn't respond to a single argument that he presented, not about suppression of academic freedom, not about behaving like a religion rather than a science, nothing. Instead, they talked about an anti-gender movement, the alt-right, dark forces, Russian involvement, conspiracy theories. If it weren't in print, you'd think some insane homeless person was yelling incoherently at you, proving that Ivar Arpi might have a point. And I know this sounds harsh, but it isn't. They didn't even sign the article with their names. It's just signed three officials for the Secretariat of Gender Studies. When government officials stop signing documents with their names, something is usually a bit fishy. They start the article by writing, and I quote, Let us establish, once and for all, gender science is science. And then they go on to state that the only reason they are being criticized is because they criticize white men who are sexist because they are men and possibly because they are white and therefore they are a science. 
the official Swedish feminism, and I call it official because it is, it is state ideology, is a special blend of the worst forms of social constructivism, where gender is fully socially constructed, paired with Marxists' ideas of power, where the woman is always the victim and the man is always the perpetrator, oppressed and oppressor, at the same time as they admit that male biology is bad, or at least male norms are, they are toxic. And of course, homosexuality is biological. That is not a choice. So to accuse it of being a religion surely makes more sense than accusing it of being overly dependent on the laws of logic. To make it even more complicated, there is an ironically absolute form of moral relativism at the heart of it all. It is obvious that they don't believe in objective truth, the idea that truth is something that corresponds with a reality outside of ourselves. That, in turn, makes them believe that truth is decided by who is the best liar, which make them almost impossible to face in a debate. And last night, the 7th of December 2017, according to the Gregorian calendar, Ivar Arpi had to debate Professor Liana Martinsson, Professor of Gender Science at Gothenburg University, in Opinion Live, the state television debate show that replaced our old debate show, unironically named Debate. According to Liana Martinsson herself, she is completely unaffiliated with the Secretariat, but was only there to defend gender science as a real science. I must say, Ivar was fantastic in the debate. He defended academic freedom, he defended real equality between the sexes, he defended science against ideology. At first she didn't even listen to him. I don't know about all professors of gender science, but Professor Liana Martinsson was obviously one of those gender scientists that hasn't learned that no means no. But in the end, I think Ivar Arpi did a fantastic job and got his point across with some help from the professor herself. As a funny side note, when I search for her name on the Secretariat for Gender Researchers website, she is in at least 21 articles. The earliest one is all the way back from 2001, where she asks if the class perspective isn't due for a comeback. In the latest article, she is part of a petition for an academic boycott of the United States because of Trump's travel ban claiming that what's happening in the United States is that, and I quote, white Christian structures of privileges is strengthened, end quote. More activism than academia and 21 articles says that maybe Professor Lena Martinson is not as unaffiliated with the Secretariat for Gender Research as she is with the truth. Professor Liana Martinson also said in Opinion Live that gender science does incorporate biology into its research that a lot of gender scientists are citing biologists, working with biologists, even are biologists themselves. And interestingly enough, I happen to have an interview with Charlotta Stern, whom Ivar Arpi cited to counter that argument from Professor Liana Martinson, right here, for you, now. Charlotta Stern is Associate Professor and Deputy Chair of the Department of Sociology at Stockholm University, for two years, she served as consulting editor to American Journal of Sociology. Her research has appeared in American Journal of Sociology, European Sociological Review, Rationality and Society, Acta Sociologica, and Behavior and Brain Science. And I hear she also has a black belt in humility. Enjoy. So, Charlotte Stone, welcome to Deconstructive Criticism. Thank you so much. You've been here once before, but unfortunately I had too much beard and it got caught in the microphone and it uh, made a lot of static. So it's not that you were too guarded last time. That was just an excuse to get you back. I see. Yes. You're an associate professor of sociology at Stockholm University. That's correct. I and also work for a private research institute called Ratio in Stockholm. 
And and what does an associate professor do? Well, an associate professor teaches uh, university students and um, do research most of the time. And what do you specialize in? I uh, think of myself as a labor sociologist. I've studied um, uh, men and women career paths in the labor market, but I've also studied organizational sociology stuff. I started off being a folk movement uh, sociologist, so I studied the folk movements in, in Swedish history. Uh, uh, what do you mean by folk movements? <laughs> uh, the folk movements... Like grassroots political... Yeah, exactly. Mo- oh, right. uh, so starting with the free church movement in the uh, early, is sort of the first real folk movement, or at least the mo- most sort of mass movement in Sweden, and then going to the um, temperance movement, the... Uh, the socialist movement, the unions, the social democrats, that kind of stuff. So one could say you're an expert at mass movements. Sort of, yeah. Yeah. And were you always interested in sociology? Yeah, more, more or less, I think. I uh, wasn't necessarily thinking that of myself as be, be wanting to become a sociologist when I started university. I was um, actually enrolled in an HR program, um, and was thinking that I would be an organizational consultant or some sort of personnel per- expert. And then what happened? Yeah, what happened is that I I got my degree, or I finished my studies in 1993. And um, yeah, uh, it's it was like the worst economic circumstances Sweden had been then in, in many, many years. And um, there was basically no jobs. Yeah, our currency crashed in 93, I believe. Yes. yes. Uh, so I, I managed to stay on. I got asked by my advisor, uh, my bachelor thesis advisor, if I wanted to work as a research assistant. You know, And my opportunity cost was like minimal. So yes. he paid me to sit at the university in the summer and, and read books. It's like the best summer job I ever had. Yes, uh, and then and, you realized. And then I realized that, yeah, maybe this is, <laughs> I'm going to support myself in the future. So it isn't necessarily that you're really interested in people. I am really interested in people too, but that I became a professional uh, people person, sort of studying people from a distance is basically what I've specialized in doing, uh, wasn't really part of the plan. I was thinking I would be more of a hands-on person. All right. And I I invited you here because I've read two studies of yours. Mm-hmm. Uh, the first is called The Political Opinions of Swedish Social Scientists. Yep. And the second one is called Undoing Insularity, a small study of gender sociology's big problem. Mm-hmm. And I thought we'd start with the political opinions of Swedish social scientists. Sure. Uh, why would you make such a study? What's the purpose of a study like that? Well, it it really started much earlier than that because between... I think 2004 and 2009, I published a, a lot of, of uh, studies on, on the politics of academics, uh, but mainly in the U.S. So it was a U.S. population uh, together with Daniel Klein. how did you fall into Klein. that? How did you even come up with the idea that you wanted to study the political attitudes of, of, of social scientists? Well, <clears throat> it, that was more a random uh, thing, if there is such a thing. But I am, I am married to an American professor 
And uh, he had collected data on, um, he's a political economist, and he had collected data on uh, the politics of of, uh, academics, actually in a research project dealing with ideological migration, whether or not people change their minds after, you know, the year 25 or, you know, so they can stay in the same place, but in their mind, they travel from one point to another. Exactly. And so, so... The, the the original survey had people ask uh, ask people a bunch of questions on, on when you were 25, what did you think of these things? And then they ask now, you know, as you are now, what do you think of these things? But the survey asked people about political opinions. So that was like the the whole rationale of the survey originally. And then, of course, he's a very libertarian type uh, professor. And so he also was like curious about the politics of professors, uh, especially since he had, of course, experienced during his entire, you know, living in academia that, that um, you know, not being a uh, left-wing person is, is sometimes very controversial. Yes. And so he was like interested in knowing like exactly how, how does it pan out and what And what it's also very opinion. frustrating because it means you argue with people from different points of view and you don't understand where the other po- person is coming from or they don't understand where you're coming from. And then... Exactly. And so there's a big, yeah, there's a big argument going on, uh, basically, or controversy or whatever you want to call it. Um, and so we started, and he needed a number cruncher. Um, and so I was the number cruncher and we started writing on this stuff and, 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 and we, I got really into it and we published a bunch of stuff. Um, so what did you find years. about the political attitudes of American social so, scientists? Yeah, as we found that in most social science, um, fields, uh, there's a huge domination of, of, uh, Democrats over Republican professors and left-wing over right-wing professors. And also when it comes to public policies, you know, whether or not you support state interventionists in in public domains, uh, there's also, you know, a majority of of professors think that the government should intervene in all kinds of, you know, domains of, of private life. And so we that we started documenting that and looking into different disciplines and di- uh, different ways of, of understanding the data. And we we did a historical overview um, in one of these sort of looking what was it lo- what was it like in the you know fifties, sixties, seventies, and you know how did you find that out? How how do you? I mean, most of these people must have been dead. <laughs> yes, of course. But you see, there there was a previous period in the sixties where where a lot of sociologists actually were very interested in the politics of professors because they thought they were all conservative and, and right-wing. Okay. Were uh, they right? No, not really. Okay. Um, not even th- back then there was, a, a, was there like a, a, a strong sort of domination on the other side, from the other side. But it was much more even back in those days. Uh, and so the, this new situation really is that, that there's – uh, certain fields in which, you know, there's basically no alternative political viewpoints. The whole field is like, yeah, dominated by a left-wing paradigm, uh, paradigm. A sort of a, um, ideology, I suppose. Ideology, I would yes. say. Um, and so, 
And, and that, of course, creates all kinds of weird um, side effects, I think. Uh, like what? What happens when, well, when a... Because you call this situation, uh, these fields insulated, right? Yes, exactly. Like they're insulated from outside um, stimulants. Yeah, yes. indeed. And, and outside ideas. And, and of course... All social groups, I mean, it's a part of human nature. We, we gang up with people who are like us, and then we start, sort of protect the, the, the us. Mm. I mean, it's, I think, very sort of evolutionary, just how we are. Uh, and, of course, in most that spheres of life, that's perfectly fine. If you go to church with your church people, go ahead. I mean, but it, but it becomes really problematic, I think, in... in uh, a scientific field because there you really need to have an openness to ideas and alternative explanations and you know test your hypotheses and and nothing should really be sacred yeah uh, and 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 then when you start having a majoritarian kind of outlook on life you become insulated from other uh, alternative interpretations and you notice that had happened in American universities. Yeah, that has happened in, in American universities. Um, I mean, to varying degrees. Uh, I mean, in, in political economy in the U.S., the, the D to R, uh, or, yeah, D to R ratio is like two to one, two and a half to one, sort of that. And D to R is Democrats to Republicans. To Republicans, yes, yes of course. And so, uh, so there you see that there, there, there are much more of a, of a different ideas are actually like, available um so you know it varies in in sociology the the d2r ratio is somewhere between 16 to 1 to 59 to 1 you know uh there's in the not US. very yeah in the u.s so that's 60 democrats for every republican mm -hmm. yeah in our in our survey we had to actually collapse anthropology and sociology to get sort of a, a little mass of, of republicans to study their opinions oh really <laughs> So they're uh, endangered now. <laughs> they're an endangered species. Yeah. All right. Oh, the Republican sociologist. We need to put them all in in one <laughs> one big cage and hope that they mate with each other. Indeed. All right. <laughs> or something like that. I don't know. Yeah. So, so the purpose of the study, uh, because then you, you you wanted to make a similar study on Swedish social scientists Indeed. to find out what political attitudes they had. And before we go into that. Uh, could you just please briefly explain, because there's some difference between the political spectrum in Sweden and the political spectrum in the United States. So what, what would the difference be? Well, first of all, there's uh, the, de I mean, we have many more parties, of course. Uh, so we have at least five or six that are part of government or like the governing set or the different varieties. And liberals are actually liberals in sort of the classical liberal sense, meaning that they are pro-market, pro... In Sweden or in, in the Sweden. States? Yeah, in, in the United States, liberals are, of course, social democrats or, yeah, more social democrats or at least more left-wing uh, than what then we would are... think of liberals in, 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 in a Swedish context. Of course, we also have uh, a former communist party uh, as part of um, the, these parties, as part of the left wing, so to, so to speak. And, and of course, then we have the social democrats and the, the liberal parties uh, being on the right. 
Yeah, the um, Liberal Party is all on the right in yes. Sweden. That is very important to note for the English-speaking listener. In, indeed. Yes. Um, so, especially for the US listener, because um, here liberal actually means liberal in, in sort of the original sense of the word. Uh, yeah, well, at least they aspire to it. But mm -hmm. I mean, the entire yeah, yeah. political spectrum in Sweden is a bit shifted to the left, wouldn't you say? Because we have a welfare state as sort of a founding principle of our nation. Oh, yeah. No, I, I, I think that's probably right. You would find, um, well, I don't really know. I, it's, it's very difficult to answer that question because the, the left, right, I mean, you know, there's also these, in the, U, in a U.S. context, you have sort of these conservative Republicans who are not particularly liberal, at least not when it comes to social issues. Uh, they might be market liberal, um, or, you know, fiscally conservative as, as some of them say but but you know so it's it's really hard to compare political systems of course uh, and and you know we have also a, a christian democratic party but it's like very small yes uh, and they so, are on the verge of being kicked out of parliament in indeed. next election in and, next election yeah so you know it, it's very difficult to if god compare. doesn't save them <laughs> <laughs> or the moderate sympathy voters. Yes, or, you that, know, that, is, that is more probable, actually. <laughs> I, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> I agree with that. Uh, yeah, so the most important distinction, of course, is that we call liberals right-wing. Yes. In, in a Swedish context. And social democrats and, you know, the left party are, are on the left. So yeah. in this study, what conclusions could you draw after you had made it? Well, we found that The largest uh, political party um, among the um, academics who answered our, our survey was the Folk Party or the Liberal Party, uh, which is sort of a middle-of-the-road but right-wing party. But we also found interesting sort of disciplinary differences uh, among the fields that we surveyed. Uh, the Folk Party was larger in the econy part of the distribution. So more Swedish liberals were in... Economics. Yes. Yes. And they are non-interventionist. I'm sorry, they are? They are more non-interventionist than... More inter non-interventionist than, than the left wing. Um, and so, but there were, as I said, there were differences. So uh, we also found, uh, we also surveyed sociologists. And in sociology, the um, largest party was the left party, um, which is, of course, in, in the general public, one of the smaller parties as well. Uh, and we also surveyed gender studies or, or um, yeah, gender science or they have in different In Sweden, names. we call it gender science. Gender science, yeah. But in it, English, you call it gender studies. Gender studies. And, and they, there, the largest party was um, the feminist initiative, uh, very strongly um, dominated by the Within feminist. gender sociology. Within gender, science. and they're not even in parliament. They they're are not like, even they're, in parliament. They're a one to two yeah. percent party. Exactly, yeah. um, and uh, and then we had you know political science, and and um, that was more normal uh, in in some sort of uh, contextual sense. If you think of the Swedish population as normal, <laughs> because in in um, political science, social democrats were the most common party, which is true also, uh, I believe in in, the, in among the general population. I don't see the Swedish population as normal. <laughs> that... <laughs> I just want to say that so, so everyone well. knows. So the conclusions are that the political scientists of Sweden, they're not as lefty as the Americans, as you it might seems think. Not, yeah, uh, it seems not to be With the, the exception of sociology and gender studies. Yeah. So, and of course, there are other uh, social sciences we didn't 
inquire about, uh, you know, psychology, pedagogics, they, they might be, you know, have, we don't know what kind of distributions they have, of course. But among the people we surveyed, um, this is what we found. So how did you go about to find out what these people think? Well, we sent out an email uh, to all faculty that we could find online in, in these fields. And then, uh, yeah, so we had like 4,000 email addresses. So this is a pretty big study. Oh, yeah. We tried to really include everyone we could find. Uh, and then, of course, we didn't have a huge response rate. But not it wasn't too bad. It was like 35%, or if I remember correctly. Uh, but at least, you know, we did. We, it wasn't too bad. And to yeah. find out what people, what political scientists have for a political attitude, mm -hmm. that's important, right? Because they participate in society and they influence decision makers. That's kind of the selection we made was sort of based on, on thinking that these social sciences are sort of the most relevant when it comes to engaging in, the, in public discourse or, or influencing policymakers or being interested in politics or, you know. So we had a notion of, you know, these fields being of more interest to the public than, you know, chemistry or physics or... And what you also found out, I, I, as, as I understand it, is that people who are non-interventionist, i.e. more liberal, uh, they are not as politically active as the ones on the left. I... Uh... Is that right? Yeah, maybe that, that was one of our That is one of the problems you point out, that <laughs> okay. even though the distribution is fairly even, uh -huh. Could be the that. lefties are way more politically mm -hmm. active. One I would see. even call them activists uh -huh. of some kind. And, I mean, all uh, intellectuals uh, paid by the state, as they are in Sweden, sure. if you work at a university, uh, they have to participate in committees and mm -hmm. um, what you surveys uh, and you know uh, contribute with their sure. expertise mm -hmm. for politicians but then there's also activism that you can partake oh, in oh yeah sure yes and most of the liberals that you seem to have asked they don't really partake, partake in, in political activism mm -hmm. whilst on the left they do i see yeah uh, that would be so you know That tells you something, too, that is important to know, of course, is whether you want to be an influencer or not. If you want to, if you aspire to be a public intellectual or if. You It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. You aspire to sit in your office and, and do your research, right? There are different types of academics. So if you want to be that type of academic to... Uh, reap the glory and affect change, then gender sociology is the subject for you, I suppose. <laughs> Perhaps. Yeah. All right. That's good to know. So uh, just a last question on the political opinions of Swedish social scientists essay. 
Why was it published in a Finnish economic paper and not a Swedish economic paper? I don't. We we aimed actually at at publishing it in an international uh, journal, uh, but we um, the why Sweden question was kind of you know. Of, of, yeah, I don't really know. I mean, maybe it wasn't interesting enough to be published in a in a sort of U.S. Uh, mainstream political journal. Uh, so we we decided to to submit it to the Finnish economic papers, and and they accepted it. So well, you know, they it's... tend to accept anything that paints Sweden <laughs> in a bad light over in Finland. <laughs> I see. Yes. So you think they were interested in just do it, being mean to us? I don't really know. But we also published actually a Swedish version in um, Economisk Debatt, which is um, a Swedish journal uh, written in Swedish. Um, so there's a Swedish version of our paper available too, to the interested reader, perhaps. Right. And then let's move on to the second sure. second study because. Yeah. This study is really the reason I invited you, because this study is called Undoing Insularity, a small study of gender sociology's big problem, which is a very, very nice headline, I think, but Mm -hmm. you have to explain what insularity means. Sure. So insularity basically means, we we touched upon it when we talked about why it would be a problem that that certain disciplines are... are, um, taken over or, or, you know, dominated by a single type of political views. Uh, it means that you start, stop taking in influences from outside your, your own group. Um, so, and as I said, I think it's a very natural thing uh, for humanity. I think we have this kind of instinct of doing this, being insular and, and listening to our, ourselves sort of. And, and the so, other term you use in this paper, which I think you, you uh, owe me an explanation for, is blinkered. Uh-huh. Blinkered, of course, is what, what you do with a horse when you put up little little pads, Blinds. Th- little blinders uh, on their eyes so that they don't see to the sides and are not, you know, threatened by, you know, if something flaps or whatever. Promoting uh, monovision, basically. It's promoting monovision and, and um, yeah, and, and sort of shielding you from, from input or from you know, distressing. Input, yes. Yeah. So why did you do a study like this about just sociology? Why did you focus on sociology? Mm-hmm. How come you made this study? Well, I'm a sociologist, right? So it's kind of what the you do. classic. is like what you know, yes. I would say, more than what you do. But it really, this paper really started as a blog post, I was thinking that I would write a blog post about gender sociology for heterodox.org. Which is what? Which is a website um, that is um, promoting political diversity in academia, or or rather sort of, it's it's a kind of, it it has a mission uh, of spreading political diversity to university campuses. So trying to mix up the social scientists with and some Republicans and maybe some stem field scientists with some so- socialists. Sociologists or socialists, yeah, whatever. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, it is. Um, it was started by Jonathan Haidt and a bunch of other people um, to create community, um, but also because more and more academics started actually voicing concern about diversity issues. And, and of course, the academic world celebrates diversity in all kinds of other areas, uh, gender diversity, ethnic diversity, you know, but viewpoint diversity has not really been part of that whole, you know, shebang. And so 
Heterodox Academy sort of was a way of collecting people who sort of enforced or, or endorsed um, this n- notion that that we we need to address this issue of of a lack of. So basically, point. it collects people who can only agree that disagreement is the best thing. Exactly. All right. Um, and Jonathan Haidt, of course, is a famous moral psychologist. Indeed. Uh, yeah. He and has so written the Righteous Mind about righteous what mind. type of biases that influence you and and makes you become. Uh, a socialist or conservative or exactly. a libertarian. And also has very good notions about why you find other people who don't share your moral conviction disgusting or, you know, why you feel offended by people who don't, dis- don't, don't, don't agree with you. Uh, so he's a very good call. I mean, you know, he's a very good person to, to talk about these issues because he's obviously the expert. Right? And he's one of the few people who have migrated in his mind as well, isn't he? Because he started out as a Democrat or a, an American liberal, and then he has drifted into American conservatism, I suppose. I'm not sure that he would say that himself. I don't really, I mean, you know, I, I can't really speak for him, but I do think that his studies of these issues have, have made him understand that it's much more complicated than just being a committed this or that. And, and, and of course, as a, as a sort of liberal-leaning person myself, I'm hoping that he has seen the light, right? <laughs> I'm hoping that he's now one of ours. But I don't really know. Uh, and I, th- I think that he, he doesn't really, you know, he take sides. No, uh, and it does, it's maybe not the most important thing to It isn't. No. Um, he's very sympathetic to the idea that political diversity is really important. But he asked you to elaborate on this blog post. He did not, actually. We, so it started with me being contacted by a group of, of um, social psychologists. And, and they asked me, given my expertise, being a sociologist, sort of closely related to social psychology, and having written previously on political views of academics, if I wanted to co-author um, something about social psychology. And, you know, among the authors were Jonathan Haidt, Philip Tetlock, Lee Jessen, uh, and then two guys that I hadn't heard about previously, Jose Duarte and Jared Crawford. All of them, like really excellent people who had been working in related fields, sort of touching upon diversity issues in their own research and um, sort of coming to the, the, the idea that this is something, you know, we have a problem in social psychology. And so I agreed to be a co-author, and, and we worked together on this paper that was published in uh, Behavioral and Brain Sciences in 2015. And um, it's called Political Diversity Will Improve Social Psychological Science. Uh, it's a really good paper. I recommend everyone to read this paper. I hope um, you send me a link so I can, you know, sure, post a I link beneath that. the episode. Oh, yeah. No, that would be great. It's available online. Uh, and it, yeah. Anyway, so, you know, so we are, so I've been now spending some time, and I, I was really done with this political, academic, political thing. Because yeah. I, I was, um, it's not a way you, to make friends. And, and uh, it's, it's really, you know, kind of been there, done that. Uh, People tend to get annoyed when you try to pin them into some sort of... Uh, 
little hole where they're supposed to fit, right? Yeah, and and you know, like most people, academics don't really like to be guinea pigs <laughs> and studied, and especially not when it comes to politics. I think. Uh, yeah. But but surprise, but you know, so I was done with this. I thought, and then after this BBS piece was published. Uh, Lee Jessim and uh, Jared Crawford approached me again and said, would you be interested in writing something about how political ideology, you know, is um, damaging science? And so I was um, thinking first that, Oof, how, you know, do I want to do that? And, um, and then I was thinking that, well, I sort of have a duty to do that because, you know, I've signed on to heterodoxacademy.org and, and, you know, I, of course, have been thinking about ways that people have blinkers. And then, I, you know, I've worked on gender study. Yeah, so they approached me about this project and they wanted to do a whole book with examples on how political ideology actually damages uh, people's ideas. And so... Closest to my my own experience and my own research was gender, and I've been exposed to all kinds of um, uh, instances during my my whole career uh, where sort of uh, dissenting views on on gender has been either you know sort of sneered at or just not Could ever. Could you give an example? Well, for instance, I, I've been in in uh, seminars. Uh, so there's been I've been in seminars where someone has brought up the name Catherine Hakim, who's a British sociologist, uh, famous for for writing on preferences of women and men being different, uh, and she's she's been working on in this field and documented how women and men have different preferences when it comes to work and family life, and um, and so people sometimes bring that up in in, uh, in seminar discussions on you know when someone presents a paper and they say oh but how about if you if you looked at this from a preference point of view what you know and and people would just say no I don't want to quote her and you know as a as a you know science scientist or at least an intellect trying to explore different ideas and different explanations it seems very odd to me to sort of like I don't want to even go there I don't want to talk about that uh, and then of course in the whole you would say the whole evolutionary movement or or Darwin 2.0 has happened and uh, I also started you know thinking how that would affect you know, how that affects all these studies on, on gender differences. That has been made so far, because they've been made from a social constructionist view, yeah. which means that they think that everything is socially constructed yes. and ha has nothing to do with biology. So your gender and my gender is decided not on our biological sex, but uh, on culture. Yeah, and, and the how fact people that we, yeah. treat us. Yeah, and expectations from others and all kinds of, of, of uh, ways that are like affecting how we think of ourselves and, and our belief systems. Um, so you made a study then on gender sociology. I did. And how did you do it? So I started from a paper called Doing Gender that was published a long time ago. 1987. 1987. And, uh, By Don Zimmerman and uh, Candace West. Yes. Yes. Uh, and it's a, it's a sort of a the most highly cited paper in, in a journal called Gender and Society, which is the top-notch journal in gender studies, I would say. And it's a, a top-ranked journal also in sociology. So it's like a famous paper. 
uh, in a famous journal, very highly regarded, and establishing the notion of doing gender. And doing gender is, is of course, is the, sort of trying to capture all these uh, ways that we are constructing gender every day in our in our when we engage, when we eat dinner, when we. Whatever. When you put in, on your clothes, when you put on your makeup, in every when you laugh of, a bit yeah. in a high-pitched laugh at a man's joke. Exactly. Or, yes. Or as a man, expect a woman to laugh high-pitched to, at your joke. At your joke. Yeah. yeah. And so so it's like the um, – for me, it, it's a, a very important paper, but it's also a paper uh, that is very sort of typical hardcore social constructivist. So I, I figured, you know, that was that was published many years ago, uh, and um, since then a lot of things have happened, of course, in 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 the sort of new evolutionary science field, if you want to just call that all that stuff that's going on in that field just evolutionary. And I thought that you know one of the major things that have happened since then was the publication of, of Steven Pinker's book uh, called the, the Blank Slate yeah. in 2002, um, basically challenging. I mean, you know, the blank slate and and the modern denial of human nature, right? I mean, it's a very it's like bam, here's a challenge to you guys. Right? It's a direct attack. It's a direct attack, and I mean, it's it, I mean, he's quite polemical or, or sometimes pushing things perhaps too far in my view, but it's clear that he is challenging. He's seen a problem with sociology and, and he has trying. gathered all the evidence against <laughs> exactly. it and he has published it in a book and he with says, title here, what says, you say about yes, that? Exactly. With a title that's a direct affront on, on doing gender. I yes. mean, not of course, you know, specifically, but, but on that kind of thinking. And so when you want to investigate whether or not someone is insular, you, I, you know, how do you go about doing it? And I didn't really have, I mean, I don't really know anyone ha- having done this before. So I just thought, well, you know, this is a book. How, what's its impact on this field, right? And so and the impact should, should be huge. I mean, he attacks the entire field. He attacks the entire field. He has a whole chapter on gender differences. Yeah. Uh, so two years later, everyone has read it and changed their minds. Indeed. Yes. That's, that's how things should work, right? Yes. In the marketplace of ideas, you would think that, you know, competing ideas is put forward. And, you know, as a scientist, we would put these like, oh, here's a new idea. Huh, what would that mean? How would I test it? How would I go about investigating whether it has some merit? Uh, so so basically, I, I started p- thinking that Pinker's book would be a good starting point for thinking that here's someone, you know, screaming loud. Uh, and so I figured that I would test the idea by using doing gender and people citing doing gender as as thinking that these are people in the field of gender, right? So uh, you took out essays that one of was, the references was the article by Candace West and yes, Don Zimmerman. Exactly. Yeah. And so I and then I took for every <clears throat> article that that had been published since 2004, thinking that they must have some time to read Pinker. Uh, and then up to 2014. Uh, so a 10-year period. 10-year period. And I, and I took out the two most highly cited uh, journal articles from uh, during that 
period. So, so I started off like with 23 articles because one was tied. The second place was tied. So I took out all three. And I read all these articles with, you know, Pinker in mind and basically coded them as, you know, blinkered, non-blinkered, um, was gender, was biological difference ideas pertinent to the argument or not. So how many um, articles in total did you study? So I, 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 in total, I, I found I, I had a sample of, I think, 23 articles. And of those articles, three was not relevant. They cited doing gender, but in a sort of non-relevant way. They, they were didn't talking actually, about just they culture were talking, anyway. So they, yeah, they didn't have One of them to. was like using doing gender articles as one example of when you, you use a word to do a noun or whatever. And so I, I sorted those out. So I, I, re, I had a sample then in the end of, of 20 articles that I was, uh, that, you know, in some fashion or other dealt with gender. And, uh, I so 20 articles that mm-hmm. deal with gender, yeah. uh, they are all social constructionists at the base, sort of speak. They well, have not necessarily, social... but they, they cite doing gender as, as part of the um, references. Uh, so, and then you thought that if they cite doing gender and th- these articles are relevant for biological difference ideas, they should be citing biological difference literature as well. Exactly. So that's uh, what you tested them that's, for. That's kind of what I was interested in exploring. Uh, and so... And how many of the 20 articles you studied did reference biological difference ideas? One. And one out of 20. One out of 20. So 5%. Yeah. Uh, and uh, and 15, 15 of the articles I considered blinkered. Uh, and I, I, I Completely cons- monomanic, doesn't ex- look outside their fields. Ignore biological difference ideas or dismiss biological difference ideas as not relevant uh, when they are relevant when they are relevant and uh and just i so blinkered by when i said that 15 of the 20 were blinkered uh i i judged them to have improved if they had considered biological difference ideas um it seemed to me that these articles could have been you know worth more if they had also included some notion of biological differences as part of the uh, you know, theorizing or as part of the uh, alternative explanations as part of something that had to do with the um, scientific argument. So in 10 years, more than 10 years, actually, 15 years now, mm. nothing has happened. It, well, it's, of course, hard to know. It, this is a very small uh, survey, of course. And uh, what's important to remember is that it's, it's influential articles. It's the most highly cited articles in these years that cite the doing gender article. Uh, so these are like the uh, coolest people in the field uh, in, in many ways, right? They are the leaders. They, they have are the, the power, they have the, the funding, exactly. they have the right to make decisions exactly. on who gets funding. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, and they are the ones with graduate students and names and, you know, everything like that, of course. Uh, I mean, in many ways. And, of course, it's talking about ideological migration again. Of course, these people are not going to change their minds, perhaps, because they're sort of... You can't learn an old dog new tricks. Well, at least it's it's harder. Uh, they invested a lot in becoming spokespeople for this movement, right? Yes, in some um, cases, they've built their careers on yeah, this theory. Of course. Yes. Uh, and so, you know, they are not really perhaps the most likely to be open to new ideas, right? And so I don't really know what's going on underneath that surface. I mean, there might be new 
things happening in, in this field that I don't capture in my little survey. But I do, I do think that the general gist of my argument is, is true. I do think that gender sociology is insulated, and, and I think they are insulated because of ideology. Because Where they develop certain taboos, and they can't approach those taboos, and in those taboos lies the answers they need to develop their field of study. Yeah, uh, I think that partly it's because, you know, they're left-wing feminists, and left-wing feminists have a specific notion of what an equal society means. And an equal society means that there are very slim differences between men and women. So that is sort of the, the utopia. Right, uh, because every difference is seen as an injustice. Yeah, yes. as inequality, um, and so everything that sort of points to differences becomes a problem. Right, and so I think that partly that whole ideology of of slim differences is is behind this blinkeredness because you know everything that says oh maybe there are you know, temperamental differences between women and women that means that they don't thrive in the same areas of working life means that, no, you're saying that there can't be, you know, a, a society... Women firemen where, or... Or, you know, police officers or, or um, whatever in the finance sector competing for the highest bid or whatever, you know. Um, and so it becomes problematic uh, to acknowledge that maybe there are, you know... Maybe we do, we're just different. And how have your colleagues reacted since you published this? Uh, <laughs> well, I had a seminar in the uh, in my department after I published the uh, insularity art article. Uh, it was full. I think it was the most attended, <laughs> attended event seminar in since many history. many years. Yes, <laughs> which of course is fun, uh, but it was also a bit scary, obviously. Because, um, you know, I'm not actually like a person who likes conflict, believe it or not. No, I do uh, believe you. <laughs> so so I, I uh, but, you know, I also think that it's my, if you're serious about science or if you're serious about being a scholar, uh, you also have a, a big responsibility to speak up when, when even if it's uncomfortable. Uh, so I, so I, I presented the paper uh, in my department, and I had some harsh, not so hard come. I mean, you know, we're in Sweden after As all. As you so said, people you're, you're, are... you're not a very conflict-seeking person, so I have a very no. hard time believing that you went full screaming into the lecture. No, I didn't. I was very, I, I tried to be very reasonable and, and not overstating my things. I, and it, Yeah, so it was, um, it was very highly attended. And I think that some of, uh, some of my colleagues were angry with me. Uh, and, uh, but I also think that there were other colleagues that were like, finally, someone is actually daring to say this out loud. Yes. Uh, and, and, um, I've, since I've published this piece, I've, I've had fan mail which for is the quite first unusual time. for a sociologist, I can imagine. <laughs> it is. And, 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 you know, not, you know, of course not hundreds, but perhaps five emails from, from professors in, in, uh, in other countries or elsewhere saying like, thank you for take, you know, being so courageous and, and actually saying these things out loud and, and so on. So, you know, I'm, I think of myself as doing 
to do boldly go where no sociologist have ever <laughs> gone before. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. We'll see. Because you published this in 2015, mm -hmm. right? Yes. Yep. That, so that it's only two years now. Mm -hmm. And the, the reason I wanted to invite you, I mean, maybe I shouldn't bring it up, but... You know, we have a journalist in Sweden called Ivar Arpi, mm -hmm. and he was interviewed in Kilet, and he's been, uh, well, I guess, on his own crusade against gender science yes. in Sweden. And one of the things he's taken issue with is uh, the Secretariat for Gender Studies, mm -hmm. yeah. which is a government-funded, I guess you call it a PR agency for, research, for gender research. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And uh, they wrote an answer to his articles I see. in the end just a week Recently. ago where uh -huh. they said that uh, there are critiques against gender science, mm -hmm. but it only comes from people who are right-wing populists. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And there you have it. Yes. So uh, now I'm also a right-wing populist. Well, I'm sorry to say, but it doesn't yep. seem better than that. Mm -hmm. mm. Yeah, yeah. And I've been a right-wing populist for quite some time, so I'm not, you know, too upset <laughs> about it. <laughs> You're used to that. So, I am not. So in the end, you, you came to the conclusion that gender socio sociology, at least from your study, has a big problem. Yeah. And I've, I've also written a book chapter on, on um, called Does Political Ideology Hinder Insights on Gender and Labor Markets? Uh, that was published in this book that I mentioned previously. And there I try to give more examples of, of issues where I think that these kind of blinkered ideas sort of hinder knowledge development in, in different ways. Hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, I'm very glad that you came by at least because <laughs> I think this is information that people need. Yeah, uh, I, do, I do too. And I think that academic freedom, I mean, one of the most serious threats to academic freedom is actually self-censorship, that people dare not investigate certain ideas because there's taboos against them. And um, I do think that actually putting things out there, if you're a tenured sociologist professor... As you are. As I am. You're untouchable. Uh, I am uh, untouchable, perhaps. Yes. Well, at least when it comes to, you know, your salary. Yes. You can still be frozen out by your colleagues. I can. But, yeah. No, I don't think there's... I, I'm, I'm, I have friends in, the, in, the, in my surroundings so let's hope they stay friends <laughs> thank you for coming thank you so much for having me thank you thank you for listening to deconstructive criticism with Charlotte Stern I'm Aron Flam and thank you if you have become a patron or swished me at 0768943737 or bitcoin me I am truly grateful for your support without your support I couldn't keep this going this podcast is growing, so obviously, however, you're sharing this podcast and you're not doing it uh, publicly, but it's working. I have also enabled download because apparently that wasn't on. And with some luck, T-shirts are available at my website when I have a new website, which is soon, hopefully within the week. Keep listening, keep sharing. Until next time, have a good unit of time. And also thank you to the listener who corrected my English on that. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, 
Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.